0: You're listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live with your hosts, Eric Provoznick, Jim Culver, Marty Zamora, and Christine Leninger. This is Christian Toto from the Hollywood & Toto podcast, and you're listening to the All Over
1: the Place podcast where the fun sanity never ends.
0: Hello and welcome back to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. I am your host, Eric Provoznik. And we've got another great show for you tonight, folks. And as always, we've got co-host Jim Culver. Eddie hey Ho, sir, how you doing? I am fantastic. A great night of baseball tonight, and they even All played right. the DJ slash coach played Van Halen's Mean Street for me. Nice. You can't go wrong with that. Cannot Keep go telling. wrong. No. And also with us tonight, Christine Leninger.
2: Hello. Hello.
0: Marty is uh, unfortunately pulling his George Jefferson, he, his uh, George Jefferson option he's pulling tonight. So Marty won't be with us. But we have with us tonight, folks, a gentleman who is the a senior writer at Breitbart.com. And he's also, um, in a not-so-roundabout way, the reason this podcast exists. And back when uh, our, gu- our uh, guest was with Libertas, he was writing there. Then he went off and did uh, Dirty Harry's Place. And Dirty Harry's Place, he commissioned a couple of guys to do what became the three site and from three of course, sprang radio free three and from radio free three the ashes of that one we now have all over the place. So John Nolte senior writer over at Breitbart.com and now the author of borrowed time. Thanks for all that you do and helping this podcast come to fruition. However through line you want to take it.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on and you guys have uh, really grown up into, into your old thing here. It's amazing. I was uh, very glad to hear from you, and very thrilled to see you guys are still still at it, still doing great work.
0: Well, we we got to keep up with you. You, you I mean you, you crank out column after column, and, and uh, as we as we've known for God, it's, it's going on. I don't want to say how many years, but uh, a lot of good years of you just slicing and dicing Hollywood like nobody else can. Just uh, keeping it in check as, as much as uh, though you can keep Hollywood in check. And you're also now, as I mentioned, you're the author of a novel called Borrowed Time, which is about Joshua Mason, an everyday man cursed with immortality. And tell us, John, how, how you managed to put this on your resume after all, of all the other writing that you've done through the years.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm semi-retired. I've been semi-retired for about seven years now. So that gave me some time. Um, I spent a lot of time plotting the book out, just trying to figure out the plot, because I'm not good at plot. Um, plot is a difficult thing So it took me about five years to figure out the plot. And then uh, once I came up with a big idea, uh, after uh, two years ago, I started writing it as a novel. At first I was trying to write it as a screenplay, which wasn't a very good idea because I'm not a good screenwriter, but I had at least hammered out the plot by then. And then it was two years of intensive writing just during all my free time uh, to, to, to get it done. It was quite a, it was, I knew writing a book would be hard work, and I never really wanted to write a book because I knew it would be hard work, and it was.
0: But now that you're done, and of course we heard on the Christian Toto podcast that you don't want to do any more. And- Yeah, I
1: don't don't have any desire to write another book. This one took eight years, so I'd be well into my sixties if I wrote another one. And frankly, there's no money in fiction. If you're a new writer, if I wrote a book called 99 Reasons CNN Sucks, I'd probably make a lot of money, but I don't want to write that book. I don't need the money that bad. But writing fiction, there's just no money in it. And honestly, I don't have a very good idea for another book. And I also believe, and I'm not saying that Borrowed Time is a good or great book, that's up to the reader. But I also believe I'm never going to write anything better than this. I'm very proud of it. And I don't want to compete with myself. So, I mean, I may, you know, I may get struck with a great idea and say, well, now I got to write. That's what happened with Borrowed Time. I got hit with a great idea, and I said, I got to write this. So if it happens again, I might write it, but I don't have any desire to write another book, and I didn't have any desire really to write this one until the idea came to me.
0: Well, I can't speak for novels, but I know that there are several non-sophomore slumps in the music department. So mm-hmm. I do I do look forward to maybe an idea sparking because it, the, the buzz on this has been great, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I have not had a chance to get too far into the book, but as someone who since college i did fiction is not my thing unless it's elmore leonard and and being someone who like sci-fi has been been like my go-to for years and i just i love the concept i and i've been so far on borrowed time really enjoying it and I'm, i'm looking forward to actually getting getting a hard copy in my hands on this one too and just Get, getting into fiction all over again, and uh, thank you, if ever so temporarily, uh, giving me someone to read uh, fiction-wise besides Elmore Leonard.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I'm like you; I don't read fiction either. It's not something I—I uh, I stopped reading fiction about 30 years ago. I enjoy biography and history. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, if I had any influences when it came to the book, it wasn't any fiction writers. It was—it was movies, westerns, and and that type of thing that. That informed the book, and I, a lot of people have told me that the book reads like a movie. It reads like kind of like a screenplay. They can see it in their head, and I, I, I take that as a compliment because I did just. My only goal was to just to keep the plot moving. I wanted to write a page turner. I didn't want to write a political screed. I didn't want to do a right wing version of woke. All I wanted to do was take the, the the reader away, you know, create a spell and hold on to it. And I've been really happy with the reaction. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not going to make any money on the book, and that's fine. I knew that going in. But the reaction to it has been just beyond my dreams. And that really made all the effort wor- worthwhile. If people go to the go to the Amazon page for the book and they read the reviews, there's only one reviewer there I know personally. Everyone else has no incentive to leave a good review. And the thing I'm really happy about is that without me telling people what I wanted to do with the book other than write a page turner, they're picking up on things that I wanted to do. So um, it's been a very gratifying experience. Um, and I, like I said, I'm, I, I wasn't too happy I wrote it because it took up so much time, but now I'm very happy I wrote it because the response has been really gratifying, very satisfying.
3: You mentioned that you wanted to write something that was more, uh, more universal, uh, rather than political and divisive. What would you say is kind of, in the creative process, what would you say is kind of the, the key ingredient to follow when you're creating something? Obviously, so many things are, are, are political and divisive nowadays. What would you say is the creating key ingredient you had to follow in the creative process to, to stay on track and and make sure that what you're making was something more universal and, and more inclu- inclusive for audiences rather than political?
1: Yeah, it was difficult because the book... It, you know, it's political in the sense that everything's political. Leave it to Beaver is political. You know, it's telling right. you what an ideal family is, and that's a political statement. But there's a difference between political and rhetoric, and that's what I didn't want to do. I, I think that the best movies don't tell you what's right and what's wrong. They let you figure that out on your own. You know, I think of the movie like The French Connection. What are you supposed to think of a character like Popeye Doyle, you know, Gene Heckman's character, who says racist things? Uh, who's obsessive who's not very nice but then he's heroic and I like it when the author whether it's of a movie or of a book or anything doesn't judge they let they let the reader judge they let the audience judge so that was that was a i try other than writing a page turner my second goal was to not inject any rhetoric into it because it breaks the spell if you do the right-wing version of woke if you if I were to mention Trump in the book or Biden or Obama, it in whatever judgmental way, even if it came out of the mouth of a character, it would break the spell because you'd roll your eyes. And Stephen King does that all the time. And it's just it, I don't think it's good storytelling. And I think it's a bit arrogant for the for the author to do that because you're just ruining it um, for the reader. So uh The way that I stayed out of it is I worked in theme. I knew what I wanted to say, and I worked in theme, and I worked through character. And I don't have all good characters, and I don't have all bad characters. And everything I leave up to the reader, you decide what you think is right or wrong. And everybody has a point of view, even the bad guys. You know, they don't think they're bad guys. And so I just tried to walk that line to just to keep it character-driven and thematically-driven.
0: And escapism is just something that we we used to go to movies for to escape, not to be preached at, not not to be told what to do, to be able to make up our own our own minds and just have a good time, get away from what's going on in the world, and and just kick back and let, and let the movie wash all over you. I talk, three movie yeah. people here who have just. Yeah, I miss that. I miss
1: that. I miss that. Yeah, I miss that. You know, one of my favorite directors is Oliver Stone, and he's, he's political, but he casts a spell. And if you look at his movies, you can say, well, JFK is about this crazy conspiracy theory. It's really not. What JFK is about is a man willing to do anything to hunt for the truth, to get to the truth. That's a noble thing we can all relate to. In Platoon, you can say, well, it's an attack on the Vietnam War, and it is. But really, if you're watching the movie, it's about a it's about a boy, Charlie Sheen's character, coming of age and having to choose between good or evil, the Tom Berenger character or the William Defoe character. That's why I love Oliver Stone. I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. You can you can have a point of view, but that was something else I wanted to do with Borrowed Time. I wanted to create just a you know, and I'm not saying I achieved it, but my goal was to create just a great piece of escapism. And when people got to the last page when they closed the book. I wanted it to be like when you leave a great movie and you step out of the theater and all of a sudden the light hits you and you're just kind of dazed because you got to re-enter the world again. And escapism is a beautiful thing. And it doesn't have to be silly. It doesn't have to be frivolous. Escapism, you know, the movie, Star Trek, the TV series is a great piece of escapism. But it has, talk about the original series, not the garbage Mm -hmm. now. Um, (laughs) But it has something to say. There's a way to thread that needle and great escapism does have something to say um it does have a theme it does have something that you can take home with you and ponder and that was something else i wanted to do was if if people close a book and think about it if they take it home with them that's a big success to me and that's another thing that woke takes away from you because it does all your thinking for you so there's nothing to go home and think about they've they've answered all the questions so yeah escapism was was a very big part of what i wanted to do i miss that I miss that in movies. I miss that in TV, and I've pretty much given up on modern Hollywood altogether because it's either it's either uh, uh, lecturing me or shaming me, or it's or it's two guys kissing, and I don't like any of that stuff.
0: And uh, have you caught uh, the new Scorsese Yet
1: have I caught what?
0: Have you caught the new Scorsese Yet the. the uh... Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. I want to
1: see it though. I love Irishmen, so I'm I'm eager to see this. And I know that there's two schools of thought, so I'm curious to see what you know if it's woke or if it's if it's the masterpiece. I don't know, but I'm I am I do want to see it. I'm definitely going to see it.
0: I I think it's a masterpiece hiding behind uh, too much shaming. And uh, one of our old friends, Jack Marino, brought up a good point about yes, it's it's the white guilt that, of course, as he's shoving down our throats and everything. Without, I mean, that's to be a given it's on the book that's based on. But Jack reminds us there's also the white guys. It's the Calvin Coolidge who sends in the FBI, who sends in everyone to take care of it and do the right thing. So, without guy, I don't want to give anything away, but it, it, it's Scorsese. So, obviously, there, there's something to be, you got to see it on, on the big screen. But it, it's definitely, uh, you know, like the, the two schools of thought. And uh, I, I think it's definitely worth seeing. But uh, yeah, it
1: sounds like it sounds like he was really working very hard to win an oscar this time and hit all the all the political buttons that oscar voters like i just got the sense that that might be what's going on here i hope not i mean i you know i wasn't opposed to the idea of him changing the focus of the story from the fbi to the to the indian tribe to the osage if that's how that's pronounced cuz that's interesting i've already seen movies about the fbi and i also hate the fbi so it'd be interesting to learn about an Indian tribe. I'm all I'm all for that, but I am concerned about what what you just said, and that's that he's working really hard to win another Oscar.
0: Well, they have qualifications now, so yeah. I, guess, I didn't even think about that. He's got to uh, check off all the yeah. boxes.
2: Yeah,
1: and
0: it's funny yeah, we, we talked to... about this early in the summer. Right? It's just funny that we, we talked about it with Christian about would Scorsese ever go woke? And it's like, well, he's got one foot in there, but now, so I guess maybe maybe does uh, he is ready to direct a uh, an MCU movie
1: yeah and they've i mean they've just they've just ruined i mean just it's unbelievable what they've done to these franchises they have these golden geese that just fire out one billion dollar movie after another and they just destroy them it's it's uncanny what they're doing and they really underestimated the audience they think we would just sit back and take it and now they've it's not enough that they that they get these box office flops but look at what they're doing they're destroying the brand and I just, it's very, it, and it, watching this stuff fail is a lot more entertaining than the movies themselves. And I just hope the whole thing burns down because they deserve it. I mean, they're just, what they're doing to the art is is indefensible.
0: Well, I, I feel kind of bad because I still have a lot of friends who work at Disney and Warner. But uh, yeah, it, it's hard not to have a little schadenfreude with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Disney Grooming Institute. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know. Pete, my, you know, my brother works in the industry, and and I feel bad for him. But you know, you can't. You know, my brother's got other things going on. He, you know, he understands how this, how fickle the, the, the industry is, and uh, he's smart enough to do that, and he sees what's going on. Um, but you know, if you're going to align yourself with something as evil as Walt Disney, you know, I'm sorry, but. You're, you're, there's going to be some consequences to that and I right now I couldn't in good conscience work for Disney what they're doing is is appalling it's just totally immoral and I just I'm sorry I know there are good people that are get caught up in it but it it just all needs to come down and I've never said that before I've been a champion of Hollywood for one of the few conservatives who wanted a, a healthy movie industry because of my love for the art but that changed a few years ago with them going after kids just so going after kids the way they are, uh, destroying the art with the nonsense, one after another. And I don't look at it as me hating Hollywood. Before, I look at me as hating Hollywood back. They started it.
0: Uh, And my best slash worst, Eddie Murphy. Brought this shit on (laughs) themselves. Yep. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And and you you did bring, I mean, you and I are similar in in, uh, the regard that, you know, there is still an optimism and especially now we're watching Bob Iger say, you know, okay, well, I mean, we need to step away from this for a little bit. Again, put the uh, words in actions. we'll see what comes first, but do you see any hope springing from uh, the the movies, uh, you know, uh, the the Kurt Warner story or, uh, you know, the uh, Sound of Freedom? And movies that are that are not explicitly political or religious, and they're just movies that tell good stories. Do you, do you see uh, you know the and them helping to swing that pendulum back?
1: I don't. I I, I don't know how they're going to get out of this because yeah, every once in a while you're going to get a John Wick or you're going to get a Sound of Freedom, and those are those are wonderful movies, and we should all support those. But they are infected. These studios are infected and the tails wagging the dog. And the reason that when Bob Chapik was the new back, his whole thing about the Florida bill to protect little kids from adult sexuality, from adult grooming in school was to stay out of it. But he had a revolt internally. So he had all these sick people that he's hired or that Bob Iger's hired over the years. And they're telling the CEO uh, you either you either come out against this bill that protects children or we're going to raise all kinds of trouble and maybe go on strike and maybe do a walkout. And this is what you see in company after company after company in the entertainment business. And you see this in the media where the tail wags the dog, where the employees put have a snit fit. And so, you know, someone gets fired or they change their editorial policy or they pull down Tom Cotton's bill. The New York Times, and once you let these, they've got you, and there's nothing you can do. So, all that's left is the implosion. That's all that's left, and maybe after that they can rebuild. But I don't. I don't. The only the only thing I hope is that we get more sound of freedoms. We get more shows like The Chosen, where you have quality storytelling um, coming from a from a right of center point of view in the independent world. I mean, those those two guys have figured it out. Uh, they have created um, quality entertainment, not just right-wing entertainment. There's too much of that to it. And they've gone around the studios. They've, I think, the Chosen started out uh, broadcasting or streaming on its own app, and look mm-hmm. what happened. And then this movie came out, Sound of Freedom, and it beat it beat Indiana Jones, it beat Mission Impossible. So it it really is possible, but you've got to have a quality. Product, you just can't try to hit all the right wing sweet spots. You can't do what the left does because conservatives don't, you know, we don't like that. We don't want to be pandered to, which makes us a little different from the left.
0: I've always that that's been a big uh, problem that I've had with with just the left and the right. It's echo chambers. You're 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 just putting a movie out there that's preaching to the choir, and that gets us nowhere. As opposed to like you said, it's still a quality story.
1: Yeah, you and you, you you see that a lot when the when the conservative media's first launched, and you saw a lot of conservative movies come out, and a lot of Christian movies, and you know they just weren't very good. And then The Chosen comes out, and it's got some nuance, um, it's got some intelligence to it. It's not pandering to you. Um, that is a very very special thing. And I think a conservative movie should be a movie you don't know is conservative. It just sort of, it just has a universal theme. It just has a universal idea. That was one of the things I wanted to do with the book. I'm not saying I accomplished it, but I wanted to put my money where my mouth is because I've been yelling at Hollywood for decades to stop preaching. And I've been telling Hollywood for decades that you can get your point of view across without preaching, without lecturing, without hectoring, without scolding. So that's one of the things I tried to do with the book because it reflects my worldview. But hopefully I I'm not a hypocrite. I didn't I didn't uh, stoop to to what I would call right wing woke.
0: And I think it was Andrew Clavin writing uh, a few years ago when, when The Dark Knight Return comes out. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it was Clavin who said that it's just good. The best storytelling comes from a conservative point of view without beating you over the head with it.
1: Yeah. And believe me, Clavin would know he's a you know, he's a brilliant novel. I don't know how that guy writes a book every year. But yeah, that's exactly right. The, it, and that's why the woke had to come in because they understood that if you watch a movie like Iron Man, that's a conservative movie. Mm-hmm. And if you watch a movie that isn't political, it tends to be conservative because universal themes are conservative. Self-sacrifice, um, you know, looking out for your family, all those themes are conservative themes. Left-wing themes are abnormal. They're, they're anti-human themes. And that's why those movies fail, because nobody can relate to that. Who can relate to movies about narcissism, where they try to portray narcissism as a value? Who can relate to movies where they're obsessed with things that don't matter, like your sexual fetishes, or your sexual identity, or your skin color? And conservative films, generally, they're not conservative at all, because they don't need to be. They just have to talk to people on a human level. It's
3: interesting that you mentioned Iron Man because that kind of goes back to what you were saying about your your writing process and you can you can you can create characters that aren't don't don't necessarily reflect your worldview and still kind of see their point of view. Uh, I've read that Stan Lee said that when he created Iron Man, he was specifically trying to challenge himself by trying to create a character in Tony Stark that was complete opposite of him uh, politically, ideologically. Uh, alcoholism and everything basically he, he created he created a hero that was the complete opposite of what he would see as normally see as a hero and then made him a hero rather than a villain and create I think it created an absolutely timeless character that way
1: yeah that I, I, I never heard that before and that's a, that's a wonderful thing I mean that really and and if you one of the things that, that you one of the things that I ran into with the book when I was doing it was that I just got stuck. I got stuck on a character and I didn't know what to do. Uh, It's the Charlie character. And he just was, I just kept writing him as Lenny from Of Mice and Men, which was fine, you know, 90 years ago, but it's so cliched now. And I had writer's block and I knew it wasn't working. And then one day after not writing for weeks and weeks and weeks, I said to myself, just out of the blue, I thought, well, since my idea is so bad, Maybe the opposite of my idea is good. And that just blew up my thinking and that changed everything. That's really what when I and then I approached that character in an entirely different way. And that ended up driving the the story all the way to the end, what I did with that character. And that's what Stan Lee did. That's that's exactly what he did is that he said, I'm going to get out of my box and I'm going to stop doing what I normally do. And I'm going to try something totally different. And something fantastic came from it because Iron Man is a fantastic character. And, and that is something you just don't see in Hollywood anymore. They refuse to step out of their comfort zones. They refuse to step out of their safety boxes and, or their, their safe spaces. And it, you can see it in the art. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. That's, that is a great example of how an artist can just blow out something beautiful because he challenges himself to step out of his safety zone.
0: And in case people have not caught up and not picked up on it yet, the Marvel movies have kind of gone downhill, by and large, <laughs> since you don't have any Stanley Lee cameos. <laughs> yeah. <The> time, yeah. <laughs> coincidence or mystic happening, Time Life Books presents. And I want to get back to borrow Time and Christine, because Christine's worked with publishing, editing. And I'd like you to give John, because the themes that you talk about, John, and I love it the humility and, and, and just letting people decide on their own. But the, a lot of the buzz on the book is that you have tapped into those universal themes. And Christine, as someone who has been, been, uh, been in the process, you, you've told me that people, when they get on, uh, you know, they say they don't want to have read a second book, but then what about the process? Make, <laughs> go give, give, give John Nolte his pep talks. So we can get a second.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well typically my clients don't take um, four years to write a book, but I mean, that's (laughs) fiction, right? (laughs) But yes, I mean, I'd have, I was telling Eric that, you know, typically the authors that I've worked with, once they've gotten through the process of writing a book, or at least when they're three quarters through it, they say, I've already got ideas for the next book, which may not be the case, but you know, that's fine. Right. But what I did want to ask you about, and if you have a comment on that, I'd love to hear it, but I did want to ask you about, because it's been said that, um, an artist's way toward immortality is their art. And interestingly enough, your book is about immortality. So tell us about that.
1: Well, the, the idea fascinated me because the only, it's just as a storytelling device, because the only stories I've ever seen about immortality revolved around vampires or superheroes or someone who is involved in some cosmic competition like Highlander. And I love, I love her, sure. um, but I've never seen, and I'm not saying someone hasn't done it, they probably have, but I've never seen a story just about a regular guy. What, what would it be like to just be a regular guy? You don't force Gump your way through hit history. You're just a regular guy and you don't even know how you became immortal, but you are. How do you deal with that? And it was sort of a it wasn't even a story idea, it was a mental exercise. I, if I was driving or laying in bed at night, how would I hide in a culture that is closing in on all of us with digital money and cameras everywhere and phones that track us and surveillance everywhere and social security numbers? How would I hide in this culture? Because you'd have to stay hidden because if people found out you were you were immortal, they'd tear you apart to you know to figure out how you work. And then the other thing I wondered is what would the emotional cost be? You know, everything you love, you're going to watch die. You know that. And how do you deal with that? And I thought about that. And then I came up with the idea that my guy would not be interested because he'd be worried about being tracked. He would not be interested in making money, like, because that's sort of a trope in the immortality thing. You know, the he, he you know, your the hero has uh, got in early on General Motors or something, and now he's got all this money. And I thought, well, my guy wouldn't do that because. If you got money, you got to have a bank account, and they're going to be able to track you. So my guy would just want to be left alone. But then he would fall in love for the first time after th- living thousands of years. And then suddenly he would need to make money to, to help his family. And then I came up with the idea that he would sell his life to rich people because his life is his renewable resource. They would, he would sell his life to rich people um, to make money. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And that's when I started writing. Because I thought, well, that's not a that's not a story, but it's a concept. Um, and that that's sort of what drove me to it. It was just the original idea. I hope it's an original idea of just a, an everyday guy who's immortal, not someone special, not someone unique and how he would deal with that. I can relate to that. I can't relate to a vampire and I can't relate to Wolverine, but a regular guy I, I can relate to. And that's who Joshua Mason is.
0: All the more reason so- I keep turning the pages on this folks.
1: <laughs> well, I hope I stick the land in for you so far. So good.
2: If you could be immortal, would you?
1: No, no, I would definitely not be immortal. And that's something that I answer in the book. Um, one of the, one of the problems I ran into was um, I had to have a character. I don't want to give anything away. I'm going to be a little cryptic. I had to have a character make a decision not to be immortal, but I had to, because it, Otherwise, the story wouldn't work, but I had to have it make sense. And I thought, well, why would anyone turn that down? Why would anyone say no to immortality? We're all terrified of death. I'm 57. It gets closer every day. It's a terrifying prospect. But then I realized that my Christian faith would have me say no, because if I were to become immortal, I would be telling God I don't have faith in him. And you got to have faith in God. That's the whole idea. And then I realized that eventually everything's going to come to an end anyways. So you can't really be immortal because eventually the the universe is going to disappear. So I use those themes in the book. Um, I was able to explore some ideas about Christianity. I don't think they're simple-minded. They're complicated, um, but they're respectful because I'm a Christian. Um, But by answering that question. And the other thing I wanted to do that I'd never seen with the story of an immortal is take taken to the very end, what happens to a guy who can't die when time ends, when the universe ends, when it all evaporates like we're told it's going to? And that was a fun part of it, too.
0: Heavy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I want to take this time, folks, to uh, remind you that you are listening to the All Over the Place podcast, the official podcast. Podcast of Media Pub Live. And with us, we've got John Nolte, uh, the a senior writer over at Breitbart.com. And we're discussing his new book out, his his first novel, Borrowed Time. And there uh there was uh something that you brought up, and, and I, I don't want to turn into Dennis Day. That's what killed Dennis Day, contempt for his audience. Um <laughs> you, uh, on, uh, you mentioned that uh I can't, I'm sorry, it, it was you or Christian, you guys were talking about. Uh, Hollywood conservatives or conservatives in general, especially conservatives who believe in the arts, who, who want the arts to flourish, were unicorns. And I don't think we are, especially looking at the amount of people who go see cons- I, I, not just conservative-themed films, but Christian films. I, I think there is a, a hunger out there for us. And unfortunately, there are people in, in, on the conservative side of thinking they just want to deal with exact money is something and the arts is something that's fluid they don't get that and but a- andrew breitbart rest in peace understood that whether you believe that you know politics is downstream of culture how, how much that plays in, into effect but a guy like greg greg gutfeld i think picked up the torch for andrew brilliantly mm-hmm. and can be a champion for the arts he's someone who's pop culture savvy beyond anyone i've ever seen on the, on the conservative side and for, Sorry. I, I was, I'm, I'm about to get a little Catholic right now and throw a little guilt out at, at our fellow uh, uh, media people who didn't get who who as of yet and I so hold out hope that they will that will give you a voice to promote your book that disappoints me that Christian and one one other person and you know we're, we're a show here that we we like what brings people together and that that's you know uh, the, our commonality and, but we, we definitely lean right. But do you think there's ever some a, a time where, where a, a guy like Greg Gutfeld can start shepherding people into realizing that all votes rise together and we're, we're better off you know, supporting the arts? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, you're right about that. I, I don't, I mean, you make a good point about that, that conservatives do consume pop culture, but what, where where the where we're unicorns, is, is that we take it seriously, mm. and that we love the arts. And with me, it's mainly movies. And with other people, you know, like with Andrew Clavin, it's novels. And and other people love music. Greg Gutfeld loves music. Um, but as far as taking the arts seriously, that is something that you don't see very much on our side of the aisle. And you know, one of the things we tried to do at Big Hollywood uh, when Breitbart. Uh, when it was still before it was Breitbart.com, was we tried to create an infrastructure um, and where we review things and whatnot, and there just there was no interest. It just there was some interest, but not enough to to sustain it. And I think the reason for that is twofold. I think the first reason is that you have conservatives are constantly on defense, and the, the left owns the culture. And we're just too concerned with drag queens to worry about martin scorsese and the other thing is that if you want to love the arts and you want to uh be around people um you have to be a left winger because uh, there's just not enough of us on the right so you're naturally going to gravitate um to the uh to the uh to the left side of the aisle so that you're not alone and i think that uh if there was enough um if there were more people that that took it seriously then we could build that kind of an infrastructure but there just isn't enough of us i just and we tried it we did we tried it and it's just it's just a problem and now you know i'm trying to sell a book and i it's it you know that's what you're what i'm ta- what you're saying is what i'm running into and it's a shame but it's part of the deal and i knew it when i wrote it and you just got to you just got to live with it that's all you can do
0: well, I, I'm an eternal windmill tilter, and, and, and God knows um, I, some days are better than others. We just do what we can.
1: That's a, yeah, that's all you can do. I mean, I, you can't have any expectations. I had no expectations that I would finish the book. I had no expectations that if I finished it, I would want people to read it. I certainly never dreamed a publisher would pick it up. And, you know, like I said, though, it's it, you know, I'm not going to make any money on it. Um, it. It was just gratifying in and of itself. And maybe it'll be a little ripple. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what it'll do, but you can't go into something like that and expect anything. You just have to do it to do it. Because if you expect things, you're going to get disappointed and then you're going to get bitter and then you're going to get angry. And that's just, you just, you can't look at it that way. You just have to do it for, for your own sake and enjoy every moment as it came. If I had to publish the book myself and I sold five copies, I would have been fine with that because i could at least say that i finished a book and uh, you know it's it's gone better than i hoped but it's not it's not going to make the bestseller list no one's going to review it um it's just part of the part of the deal you just got to live with it it's, it's unfortunate but that's the world we live in
0: yeah well again based off of what i've read so far i i'm looking forward to you know i'll keep keep the fingers crossed and hope alive that maybe you know that spark can, Hey, for the second one, like Christine said, the process might might be a little bit easier the, the second <laughs> time around. And an, another thing I wanted to bring up, and th- this was some, I was so glad that you brought up uh, when when you were talking with Christian, the final countdown. I am so glad you brought that up as a movie that is, is something that people should see, because that that hit me at this. At, I, I love time travel movies, and as hokey as that one was, that in Philadelphia experiment with Michael Pare were two movies that came out about the same time. Yeah, I loved yeah. them. And so and thank you for hoping hopefully opening up some people's minds to uh those great 80s movies, both of them. Well, I mean, you just brought up uh you know uh final countdown, but Philadelphia Experiment I I think belongs in the same sentence. Yeah, good movie. Michael Pere. Love Michael Pere. I, I was so excited. 83, 84, Michael Perret. He he had Eddie and the Cruisers, Philadelphia Experiment, and I love Streets of Fire. That movie does not get the love that it deserves. Phenomenal <laughs> and <cast>. greatest American <laughs> hero. I, I, I guess coming out of the greatest American hero. Exactly. I was kind of scared that that's how I, I knew him. Was all excited for those years, but now you know it, it was I had such high hopes for Michael Pare and then just went away. <laughs> but and, you know, as, you know, as uh, we, we talked about Scorsese a little bit earlier, but uh, as we uh, the years winding down and what used to be commonly known as Oscar season, I don't know do we even call it that anymore. But uh, do you? Is there anything on the horizon right now that you're looking forward to seeing before the end of the year? No,
1: no, there really isn't. I it's, I want to see the Scorsese movie, but there's there's nothing else. I've I've just given up. It's just all crap, and it's just it's a waste of my time. And I got a huge Blu-ray collection. I got all these movies that maybe I've seen once, maybe twice, and I would much rather go back and watch those and get something from it than suffer through this through this junk. And even, you know, even a movie like Mission Impossible, I mean, how many times do we have to see that movie? I love Tom Cruise and I love the series and I don't think it's political, but how many times do we have to see the same movie? And I, you know, it's just, I've really given up on the, uh, on the industry. I just, I just don't care anymore. It's, and it's a shame. It's a passion. I used to love waiting for the next movies to come out of something I look forward to. It's a passion that's been taken away from me, but I just, it's too much disappointment and it, and now I'm getting older. Time really is crucial to me, and I'm just not going to waste three hours going to see something and get insulted or bored or lectured. Or I'm just not going to do it anymore. It's just too, time means too much. I'd, I'd rather watch an old Bella Lugosi movie than whatever than than Barbie any day of the week.
0: Well, do they have? Uh, you're you're bipping uh, different. You're, you're being semi-retired. You're bipping around different places. Uh, if you happen to have an Alamo draft house theater. Anywhere in your area, no. highly recommend it.
1: No, I Got love it. I love theaters to play old movies. We, we, that was one of the things we did in Los Angeles, was we'd always go to see old movies at the theater. That oh god, was, the new art.
0: Uh, oh god, I, I miss LA for that reason. But but for, yeah. I, the uh, Alamo Drafts was here, and then uh, I still work for I, I do movie parties for a uh, the Majestic, which came from the ashes of Alamo. But yeah, just getting seeing old movies on the big screen is it, about all that's you know you're not going to get disappointed
1: yeah exactly and you can watch those movies over and over again and i i think that one of the things that proves how great old movies are is that we used to watch them on tv you know on a 19-inch screen interrupted every 15 minutes with commercials and they were still good and that's that is tells you how great those old movies are and i never get tired of them and there's so many of them out there and when people say i miss you know uh, i want to see a new movie i said well why, why don't you why don't you find an old movie you haven't seen isn't that a new movie because that's what i do when i want to see a new movie i'll just look for a movie i haven't seen and and, and give it a try and nine times well, maybe not nine times but seven times out of ten it, i love it but if i watch a new movie it's seven times out of ten it sucks
0: <laughs> well as we've learned on this show as much as i love movies and have seen tons of movies through the years. There are quite a few that I have not seen that my, my co-hosts have been kind enough to uh, plant in my brain. So, John, I'm going to ask you uh, to do, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, what what are uh, two or three on, on your list of, of ones that you go back to in the Blu-ray collection? And it's nice to know people still have a Blu-ray cannot collection.
1: Well, I, you know, I went digital. I was going to go digital, um, and I spent a lot of money on digital and then they started censoring movies. They started disappearing movies. You know, and like I've said many times, if they'll censor The French Connection, they'll censor anything. So I'm going back to the Blu-ray. But I would, uh, you know, there's there's some great movies of the '70s. Um, there's a movie called Charlie Varick with Walter Matthau. It was written It was directed by Don Siegel, Ooh. and it's just a fantastic crime movie. And the guy who played Scorpio in in uh, Dirty Harry co-stars Robinson. with uh, What's that?
3: Andy Robinson.
1: That's right. That's right. Good, good pull. Um, He co-stars and it's just a great, it's about a guy. It's an everyday guy who gets messed up with the mob. And then there's a wonderful Robert Blake movie that I love called Electra Glide in Blue, where he plays a motorcycle cop. And it's, and I love Easy Rider. I'm not trashing Easy Rider. Easy Rider is one of my favorite movies, but it's called the anti-Easy Rider. And it's well worth seeing. It's, it's a terrific movie. And then another one of my favorites, and it's also a Tarantino favorite. I didn't know that until recently, is a Burt Reynolds movie called White Lightning, where he yes. plays a he's there's a he he uh, he's a jailbird um, who goes undercover to bust some moonshiners, and I love the conflict in it because uh, he has to you know, he's torn between because he likes those guys. He likes those guys a lot more than he likes the cops, and uh, Ned Beatty plays a terrific villain. So those are three really terrific genre movies from the 70s that never get enough uh get enough respect
0: things to seek out very good thank you for those i'm like, always looking for good 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 new old movies so and christine jim anything else we want we want to cover here while, while we've got john with, with borrowed time or otherwise
3: well i just have to ask if uh purely hypothetically if if that if your book did get option for a movie would you want it to be and if so who would be your your pick to direct and act in it
1: um i it would depend i mean i wouldn't want to you know if like disney came to me i don't think i'd give it to him <laughs> because <laughs> you know I, I always think of tom Clancy tom Clancy created jack ryan and then he sold jack ryan he sold the character the rights to the character to paramount and he hated what they did with the character because in Tom Clancy's mind uh, Jack Ryan was conservative and then he was a very different character in the in the movies and I like the movies I'm just that that was Tom Clancy's point of view and it wouldn't surprise me if a studio came along and said okay we're going to give you x amount of dollars for your character and then they turned him into into a transsexual just to spite me so I don't know if I would if I would want to do that I don't know if I'd like what they would do to it, but uh, it's, it, he's a hard character to cast because he's, I always thought of Robert Mitchum as I was writing him, but a Robert Mitchum couldn't play him because he's not white. He's a, he's, he's Indian and, you know, he was here before the Europeans, so he can't be a white guy. Um, he's, you know, Mexican, but sort of, sort of a guy like Mitchum, who's very sure of himself. Um doesn't talk a lot. And when he talks, he he means what he says. He's tough, but he's tender. Just a just a character with a bearing like that. And as far as a director, I hadn't even I hadn't even thought of that. Um, I don't know who could who could direct though. I just haven't thought that far into it. The, you know, one of the things like you like we were talking about before about being a conservative and doing something like this is that you know, I am not saying that the book is good enough to get optioned. I'm not saying that if I work for Politico or CNN that it would get optioned by a studio. I'm not saying that. But if you're a conservative, you're never going to know because they're not going to do business with you. So right. I never I haven't really thought about that because I know it's never going to happen because they're not going to do business with a Breitbart guy. Whether it's good enough or not, I don't know, but I'll never know. If I worked at CNN, I would know because either they would option it or they wouldn't. But in my position, I'm just never going to know. So I haven't given it that much thought, but I would the Only thing I thought about is that I don't think you could do it as a movie, but it would probably work as like a limited series. Um, you know, or a mini series, as we used to call them. That that would probably be the best format for it.
0: I got the way to get it, get it, get it picked up. Attach Nick Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> as a director, as someone in the cast, Nick Cersei gets shit done. True. True. Him and Robert Davi
1: both. They've both done some good work.
0: See, we're we're here to help here on all over the place, folks. We we come up with yeah. ideas. So, some we're good. Some some it won't, you don't know till you try. But we, we do our best here. And Christine, over to you. Oh, we got to mute for the dogs, folks.
2: Children, <laughs> um, actually. <laughs> So I uh, just, I'm just really excited to read the book. Um, I love the topic and um, it's super fascinating. So thanks for sharing it with us. And I'm excited well, I hope you like it. it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. The only other thing that I was going to ask you about in the course of, um, you know, you were kind of talking about um, how streaming has kind of taken over and the death of cable and stuff like that. When you were talking with Christian Toto, I kind of picked up on that. Um, in that interview, but here we're saying like uh, Netflix just raised their rates again within the last couple of days. Do you see them kind of following the same path where they're going to end up getting that price up and up and up and up and up and oh, what's yeah. next? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that that that's exactly what they're going to do. They have to. I mean, it's uh, they they have, and I think they're going to try and bundle. I think they're going to try and do it do to us what they did with cable, where you know, if you want Netflix, you're going to have to pay for Disney and Paramount or something. So yeah, it's just going to go up and up and up, and people just have to decide if they want if they want to pay for it. Um, you know, Netflix I had for a while, and then I canceled it because I, I didn't like the price. It just wasn't worth it. When it was $7.99, it was worth it, but it's not worth it anymore. And I don't, I don't, I don't do anything with the streamers anymore. I got I got a nice DVD collection. I, I program my own entertainment. <laughs>
0: Physical product is frowned upon in in the household. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> stacks and of stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Eric actually has a mind boggling collection of physical media.
1: Yeah, good. No, they can't, they can't, <laughs> they can't censor it if you own it.
0: You know, I I got rid of a lot of CDs, but I, I hung on to more than a fair share of, of uh, movies and and CDs and gotta keep the box sets those are collector's items
1: yep yeah gotta <laughs> hang on to that stuff it's all going to be collector's items
0: vinyl it's all physical product it feels good it's tangible mm-hmm. <laughs> professional catholic i can rationalize anything there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is donovan we're, we're, we're four catholics here there you go. There you go. Yeah. Just, wow. again, coincidence or mystic happening? No, it's, 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 uh, really just happening this time. But we're not mm-hmm. going to get preachy. Uh, but John Nolte, my, my fellow arts unicorn, thank you so much for joining us here on All Over the Place. And folks, be sure to check out Borrowed Time at any, Amazon or any, any, uh, any place where you, you like to pick up your books. Check that out. And, uh, be sure to check out, uh, John over at Breitbart.com where he remains a senior writer. John Nolte, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It was good talking to you. You've been listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. If you like what you've been listening to, and you know you have, be sure to share it with friends and family, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. content contained herein have been the opinions of the hosts, the producer, and the guests only. You have listened at your own risk.